Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, here with my permanent guest, as always, Cammy. Hi, Bryant. Hey, Cammy. And because it's Apodicus Magnus, that means Peter's here. Hello, Peter. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for coming back. Yes, please. Yes. Or thank you. I mean, wait, what? Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I said please. Um, Everyone, Mystery is a podcast about myths and history. Every week we try and grab a fun and engaging myth or legend or story or something, try and give you that story, and then talk about some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff around it. Uh, And today we've got a unique episode because we're doing something from that, that is sourced from the community, from, from our friends and family and listeners. Um, we've decided to call it Suburban Legends. And, well, Cammy, why don't you talk about what this is? Or did I basically just do that? Yeah, so a Suburban Legend is, well, how I envision it is it's basically a story from your hometown or where you live now uh, it could be a ghost story. It could be, you know, aliens, it could be a cryptid, whatever, but it's not something that is in the mainstream's eye. It's just something that comes from you like a personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, these, these are stories from people that we know that are connected to us in some way or the podcast, and they've decided to come out and share with us an interesting story. So this this is a great opportunity to grab a flashlight, put it under your chin, uh, as that's how I imagine we're all talking right now, <laughs> um, as we talk about spooky stuff. Um, but no, this should be pretty fun. I think we've got some really great stories here, and uh, this should really work out. And I, I think what we're planning on making this a semi-recurring sort of segment too. So if oh, yeah. you, yeah. So if if you think of something, if you if you hear these stories and you're like, oh my gosh, that reminds me when, please uh, type something up, send it to us, and we will. It doesn't have to be long, and it doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. Nope, nope. This is totally, yeah. This is something new for us, so it's going to be a little different from our normal formula. So if if you're new to the podcast, um, take a look at our other episodes. They they play out a little differently, but um, please do share with us what you what you got. Um, so I just, I just wanted to say that that some yeah. people like you know uh, if if you're listening and, and a lot of people uh, submitted ideas and if you're not hearing something that you submitted. Don't worry, we're we're gonna we're gonna get to it maybe at a later date. Uh, and in some cases, as as um, I think uh, Brian mentioned, if it doesn't have to be long. I mean, some of these folks gave us like a little seed, and you know, we we did some research and found out even more cool stuff about that story. So uh, let us have it. Yeah, yeah. These don't have to be super personal. They can be something that you're aware of, but we like just localized things. Is kind of what we're going for here. So um, great. Well, uh, Peter is going to kick it off with this. We're going to do like a round robin here, um, but Peter will start us off. So Peter, please regale us. I shall. Our first story is the legend of Spike Horn. This comes from Gabby in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you grew up in the Michigan North Country, then you've probably heard tales of Spike Horn. They say Spike Horn was a wild man with a great white beard, who dressed in dirty buckskins and lived with a family of bears. 
They say Spike Horn built a house for his bears and let them loose in the winter, and that every spring he would walk out to the woods and call them back to call them back again. They say Spike Horn offered President Truman fifty thousand dollars for the capture of Adolf Hitler so he could turn him into a traveling attraction and tour the world with the fascist dictator. But did they also tell you that all these stories are true? Spike Horn was born John E. Myers. During the 1930s, Myers decided to market his eccentric lifestyle and adopted the character of Spike Horn. He opened his bear den and gift shop, proclaiming it was the only place in the world where you could shake hands with a bear. Spike Horn was a scofflaw, never keeping permits for his animals, frequently getting arrested, arguing in court, and making sure his name was always in the papers. He sat for numerous interviews, and one of his bears famously escaped during a radio broadcast, finally being, finally being discovered in one of the elevators. Spikehorn even ran for several state offices, promising to donate his salary to feed the starving deer population. Following World War II, business at the Bear Den began to slow, and in 1950, a fire in the gift shop burned the whole structure to the ground. Supposedly, a lady offered Spikehorn $60,000 to rebuild, but he turned her down, fearing that she was trying to entrap him in marriage. He said at the time, I'm only 86 now, you know, and I don't plan to marry until I'm 100 years old. Then I'd like to marry a rich woman and be the richest man in the cemetery. Spikehorn was able to rebuild the bear den, but he died shortly after. You can still visit the ruins of the Bear Den along old US-27, but few people do. Some people say the ghost of Spikehorn still lives there, scaring away any would-be conservationists. These days, fewer and fewer people remember the name of Spikehorn, the man who shook hands with bears, but we remember and tell his story still. What? That is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most... 2020 thing i've heard that <laughs> didn't happen in 2020 holy cow yeah, that's what a, amazing what a character i mean this so much fun i have to thank gabby gabby did yeah. so much research on this story like i would uh you know she'd send me a piece and be like oh this is great and i'd start to put it in the story and then she'd give me another great piece of information there's there's so much from this guy he was such a character that's incredible. Um, and a lot of it's verifiable it's like it's in it's in print you know it's in the newspapers right yeah Holy cow. That's a, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Gabby. Wow. I wonder how he died. I bet you he died in the most unremarkable way. Like he, he drank a glass of milk wrong or something like <laughs> just to completely like crescendo. Like <laughs> just <laughs> wow. choked on some jerky or something. Right. Yeah. That's really funny. Well, um, Great. Yeah. Thanks again, Gabby. That, that was really good. Uh, well, well, moving on, I'll, I'll go on. Mine isn't, um, as involved with crazy bear man. Um, but this one is from Melissa in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and just an interesting occurrence that she had. Uh, so I, this is from the first person. So pretend I am Melissa. That's, that's the way to think of this one. When I lived in Atlanta, we had many strange occurrences, but the first one stuck with me. I was almost 15 years old, and I'd gone to bed. I woke up in the early morning and had rolled over to my side. 
When I opened my eyes, I was face to face with a middle school aged girl I didn't know. She was extremely pale and had a strikingly dark hair. Her eyes were extremely wide and she refused to blink. I passed out and didn't wake up again until later that morning. The weekend came and I was visiting my mom. While telling her about the girl, her jaw dropped. She saw the exact same girl when she was around my age. My mother woke up in the early morning and the same girl was sitting on her chest and pinning her down. The girl was screaming in her face, but my mom couldn't make a sound. Ooh. Yeah. I'm so glad that Melissa uh, was on her side because if she had been on her back, like maybe she might have had a more terrifying experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I read that. So like as soon as she, like she described the girl, I thought of like um, Jew on the Grudge or the Ring Girl kind of. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and we were talking about the themes of of life <laughs> myth theme being these recurring sort of uh, themes, myth themes that uh, happen kind of regularly and sometimes independently. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting. And, and the fact that her mom went through it as well. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. Generational sleep paralysis. Yeah. Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the last thing I thought of, I was trying to think like, I don't have any personal like connection like that, but uh, in, in a way I do. So when I was a kid, when I would sleep, I, I would sleep on my stomach and put my hands under my pillow and I would lightly bang my head on my pillow. Like it was kind of a rocking thing. Mm. And I told my dad this when I was like 14 or 15, it came up and my dad, his jaw dropped and he was like, oh my gosh, I did that too. <laughs> so, wow. uh, That's really so interesting. It, it wasn't the terror of a middle school age girl on his chest, but it was the sensation of rocking ourselves to sleep. Interesting. That, that we share generationally. So that was, yeah, my connection of an independent generational sort of thing that was very specific, although just less creepy. But yeah, I like that. I hope uh, Melissa and her mom aren't um, uh, visited by this girl again. I hope that things are well, but that made for a really awesome story. So I appreciate that. Melissa, thank you. I've often, often wondered if like, you know, if, if little, a lot of these stories come when we're, when we're young and is it because, you know, we're young and we don't know any better? Or is it because that young people are more tuned in to, like, the supernatural, more more open and more sensitive to it? Like, I, when I was a kid, I thought that I could, like, sense if there was a ghost in the room. Like, I just had this I, – I believed I had sure. this ability. Like, I remember my eyes would tear up. Like, I would walk into a place and be like, "This is there's something going on here. And that went away. And, and I don't know if that was because, uh, you know – I grew up like it was a hormonal thing or sure. if I just lost that sensitivity as I got older. It's really oh, interesting. Peter, you know, um, Kim, you might be able to help me out here during our, so we did a, uh, a bloody Mary episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so good. I loved it. And, and I don't know Thanks. if you remember. Yeah, it was a really fun one. Um, we talked about I, – I, I talked about um, – I'm trying to remember the specifics. I'd have to go back. There's sort of this like psychological explanation of just kids in the like preteen age 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's just a susceptibility. It's like a psychological susceptibility to all of this. And it, I mean, it goes it goes it starts around the preteen age and goes onward. But it's you know like it, it was a, sort of an explanation of why are these kids so willing to do like I mean, if there's a ritual that gets you killed, why are you gonna do it? You know like it, but but it's <laughs> right. this, it's this preteeny teenage and up thing well you're pushing boundaries at that point yeah exactly. and i mean that's when you start doing it and so i with the bloody mary stuff i mean it's probably kind of forbidden like your parents are like don't mess with witchcraft or whatever and so that's like a safe way to explore yeah you know yeah. that sort of thing right yeah yeah, yeah. It sounds like something an adult would make up to explain the ferocious uh-huh. pow- ferocious yeah, power does. of children <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it was it was it's really cool. So excellent. Well, Cami, um, are you ready for your first story? Yes, I am. So I will start with uh, Jana from the outskirts of Beckley, West Virginia. I've had many spiritual and ghostly experiences in my life, beginning when I was a little girl. My most recent encounter continuously happens at my current job. I'll be working alone, and suddenly the cups will come out of the dispensers one at a time. I've also seen an apparition standing behind customers in the store. Like, he would be looking over their shoulder or be in line behind them. He will mumble about wanting his house back. I thought I was just seeing things because I was tired or something, until one day a customer came in and was talking about local gossip. She brought up the story about a man who died in a house fire. Where my store is located now used to be almost exactly where the house stood. And again, that was Jonna from the outskirts of Beckley, West Virginia. Hmm. I have traveled. We we drive through Beckley a lot when we're uh, traveling up to the northeast. I'll have to find this store now next time I'm there. Please, please don't. She she was like, (laughs) hey, don't make it too specific. I don't want anybody to know. That's (laughs) right. But now we, but then we could do a mystery original investigations episode, right? <laughs> yeah, we can get in with the Jersey Devil people. Right. <laughs> Ooh, we really a, need to bring them on. A mystery road trip. I know. We talk about them so much. That's so funny. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. Very nice. Well, uh, Peter, are you ready for round two? I am ready. Uh, this story uh, is called The Shane Road Crossing. It's from Jessica in San Antonio. Um, this is at least San Antonio is where the story comes from. I'm not sure uh, Jessica still lives there or not, but uh, she wrote this script, so she did a great job. Um, and here we go. Some stories run so deep through a town that they harden over time, settling into the bones of the place. The Shane Road crossing is infamous in Texas, passed down by fathers over campfires and grandmothers when you act up in the street, especially around railroad crossings. Get away from there. Do you want to end up pushing cars off the tracks forever? Well, do you? The story begins on a dark night in late summer, and a bus full of kids is making its way home. It's the JV team coming back from their first away game in San Antonio. For some of them, this is the first time they've ever traveled outside the county. They're young and strong, loud and rowdy, still riding high after their first win. But the road is long and the day was hot, and eventually everyone settles down and starts to sleep. 
The bus driver continues into the night, taking them back to the school where the kids' parents will be waiting to pick them up. It's a small school in a poor district, and the bus is old. It's ferried kids from all grades all over the state for years and only broken down a handful of times. But the driver knows it well and is confident he can handle anything that could happen. True, the parents are starting to make a fuss about getting a new one, but so far he's been able to get it rolling again after every breakdown, and it can make it a little further. They finally made it out of the city, exiting off the highway and onto the two-lane country road that will take them home when the driver sees they're approaching an unguarded railroad crossing. The headlights illuminate the swaying trees on either side of the road, but outside of that halo of light, it's too dark to see anything. He rolls up to the tracks and brings the bus to a shuddering stop, craning his head from left to right, checking as far as he can see. There isn't anything approaching. The bus fights him as he pulls forward, making it halfway across the tracks before it dies with a final jolting stop. The driver swears and looks back at the kids. Everyone is still asleep. He grabs his tool bag from under his seat and goes out to see what the problem is. Hood up, head down, he starts poking around the engine, checking the usual suspects. He's muttering to himself when he suddenly realizes he can hear something else. He disentangles himself from the engine and looks up. A train is bearing down on him, close enough that he can see the exact moment the engineer realizes they're there. He jumps away, terrified, the impact of terrible, screaming crunch that splits the night itself. Horrified, he can only think one thought. I left them. Through the aftermath, as the paramedics checked him and the sheriff asked him asked his questions, and later when their parents cried and the principal raged, he could only think, I left them. The funerals are held, but he isn't wanted there. He's fired from his job, and even his wife won't look him in the eye. He drinks and thinks. I left them. Finally, he can't take it anymore. He takes his car and he drives back to the tracks. He sits there, idling a while, with his foot on the brake, drinking, the same thought going over and over in his head. I left them. Finally, he sees what he's been waiting for. The train is coming. He wonders at how far it is. It's almost funny how easy to spot it was when he's specifically looking for it. Drunk, he tries to shift into park, but only makes it to neutral, waiting. The train is closer now, but still so far. He takes the keys out of the ignition, throwing them out the window so he can't change his mind. It's coming. He's ready. He closes his eyes. Then opens them again, to find himself off the track, the train passing harmlessly behind him. He stumbles out of the car, confused, shaking, he stands next to his car and looks down. The car is dusty after traveling down the back roads it took to get here, and in that dust he sees it. Handprints, a dozen of them, a whole team's worth. Collapsing on the ground, he cries, They forgive me. For years afterward, you could go to the tracks yourself, put your car in neutral, and leave it on or near the tracks, and you could see. The car will move to safety pushed by invisible hands. If you spread baby powder on your trunk, you can see for yourself. The tracks and road were renovated in 2018, and now it's a guarded crossing with flashing lights 
and arms that dropped down, giving you plenty of forewarning about any trains headed towards the road. Maybe now the team can rest. Whoa. How about that? So I have oh, to. Oh, that's really creepy. I have to oh, just get it out the way. I, I thought of Death Stranding when I heard about the handprints touching the car. I just have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool, though. What an interesting story. I, I love the, the detail in that is so great. Yeah, yeah. And this this idea that, like, you know, people in the community would, would drive out there to try to recreate this scene, I think, is really neat. Right, yeah. No, that sounds like a totally teenager. Let's go <laughs> throw a bunch of baby powder on our car and go down to the railroad tracks. It's like, yeah, really it's, cool. like a, it's like a Ouija board kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, who's pushing? <laughs> who's doing that? Yeah. No, that's very good. Well, um, mine's th- my next one kind of uh, I think has a, a nice little connection there, so I'll, I'll jump into it. Um, this is from Joe and Camden, SE. <clears throat> one day I was coming home from dancing lessons when I was in high school. I took a different route home that day because I had heard the stories of Crybaby Bridge at school. Supposedly, supposedly, when you cross the bridge, you can hear otherworldly cries. When I turned down the road, there were two lights, something like headlights or two flashlights. The closer I got, I realized the lights did not move. They started to hover higher and higher into the air and then flew into the woods. We drove faster than was probably safe across the wooden bridge and refused to look back the entire way home. <laughs> so that's Joe's story of noping out of there. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll put to um, Cami supplied me that story that she took got from Joe and I, I, I like made some grammatical changes and stuff like that. So I hope I didn't change it too much, but, um, I really like that. And that one was kind of recent ish too, right? Or the last handful of years. Yeah. So if Joe was in high school, it would have been 20 years ago though. No, no, no. 10 years ago. About 10 uh, years ago. Okay, cool. Uh, that's, that's, I wonder if we can go to Crybaby bridge then. I think we should. I I think it still exists, um, but I'm not positive you can drive over it. Well, you wouldn't want to. All the crybabies. We'll have to (laughs) to walk over it. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's even creepier. Feel it. Well, so when I when uh, uh, when the word otherworldly cries when I was typing that transcribing that I I put in parentheses Anun from our (laughs) Welsh mythology, which is Anun. We just did the episode on the main show, and it's like uh, basically the the Welsh or Celtic like otherworld, and and it's kind of said that you get there through like a gateway. Um, and of course the gateway is something like Stonehenge or something like that. But now I'm wondering if, if, uh, SC has a gateway to a noon through Crybaby bridge where you have, uh, these creepy flashlight headlights, um, floating around and that's how you get there. <laughs> I hope it's something like that. Yeah. yeah. Why not? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, uh, we have several stories that kind of take place around railroads. It's almost like these, these spots, uh, collect this energy you know it's it's yeah. uh, or maybe maybe something what what drew us to build a bridge there in the first place maybe there's something there that we are unconsciously uh paying homage to well, there was a around. creek that you couldn't drive over <laughs> yeah that's why there's a bridge there i'm just kidding but, i'm just but it, but it could have been but, but it could have been anywhere on the creek you know like why that spot oh yeah well that's where the road was Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, why they put the road there 
<laughs> Let me have my conspiracy theories, please. Yeah, no, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, why did they put a road there is a very good question because I know where it's located and there's like no reason for a road because on either side of that. I mean, it would it would have had to have been like a reason that was 100 years ago, because on yeah. either side of that, there's like a real road, mm-hmm. you know, like there's actually a real path that exists that you can get to wherever you're going in Camden, South Carolina, way easier <laughs> um, if you don't take Cryberry Baby Bridge. So. <laughs> That's funny. That That is a very good question. Crybaby Bridge <laughs> sounds like its own episode, you know, like. We should do maybe a br- I mean a bridge if we could, episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, if we could find me. something on yeah. it. I mean, I tell you, every high schooler there has a story. I'm sure. Oh, that's cool. Or so, knows somebody that has a story. Sure, sure, yeah. So here's a question. I mean, do do we did Joe uh, provide any detail? Like, is is Crybaby Bridge? Do people like actively go out there and hang out and try to get scared? Do people go out there and make out and stuff? It seems like these stories uh, coincide with some of these locations, you know. I don't know that anybody would want to hang around. It is, it's a really spooky, and like if you got murdered there, nobody would find your body, kind of place. So mm-hmm. I don't think people would just be out there like making out. I think it's where you you drive over it to scare your girlfriend, so she'll right. make out with you later. Like okay. that's yeah, that's the kind of bridge it is <laughs> the kind of place that. it is yeah you should <laughs> <laughs> that's funny awesome well cammy i think it's your turn for the end of round two yes so this is from rachel in west columbia south carolina i was playing with a ouija board at my mom's old house in columbia south carolina My friends and I didn't think anything of it because it didn't seem to work at the time. Then about three weeks later, two different friends stayed at my house overnight. We were playing hide and seek, and one of my friends decided to hide in the closet. She started screaming, and I ran into the closet to find her, standing in front of the door, looking in and crying. She said someone wrapped both of their arms around her and pulled her back. That same night, the girl went to take a shower. The other friend and I were downstairs playing the PS3. The girl in the shower screamed again, and so we went upstairs to check on her. I had no idea what was going on, but she started accusing me of turning out the lights. I told her I absolutely did not do that, but she insisted she saw my shadow run out of the bathroom moments before. And again, that was Rachel in West Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, so they obviously unlocked something with that. Ouija board that they didn't know. Yeah, yeah, that's really wild. Yeah, parents, don't don't buy Ouija boards for your kids. It's a <laughs> gateway a gateway to Satanism. Do 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 you guys um have have any Ouija board stories yourself? Did you play with Ouija boards as kids? No, no, I, I, I never did. came across them. Um, my mom, it it was an old one, like from well, not old, like from 1920 or whenever they were created. When did you say they were created, Bryant? Wasn't it the 70s? No, no, no. It was way earlier. They're older than that, yeah. It was like it was either like the late 1800s or early 1900s. I remember you like looked it up last time we talked about a Ouija board. Um, but yeah, my mom had one, and it was just with all the other board games. So like they at her house, they kind of considered it just a board game, mm-hmm. and I think that's 
what it was sold as in the 60s when she was a little girl. But we would take it out and, like, play with it or whatever. And we'd do light as a feather stuff as a board and all of that stuff. But, I mean, we never really believed that we were actually communicating with spirits, you know, or anything like that. And mm-hmm. we, it was always – one of us was moving it. Like, I mean – it, when I decided it wasn't me to move it, like, I'm sure my sister was like, oh, wow, it's not moving. Let me move it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, so, I, yeah. I played with them as a kid, and I absolutely believe that they were real. Um, mm. I remember we, we took it to a – we had, a, like, an old graveyard near the house I grew up in, and we played with it in the graveyard. And we, we were like – Whoa, right, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, you are yeah. not supposed to do that. Hey, well, I was a I was a – <laughs> living, on, living on the edge, man. Um, so we, we, it was moving. It wasn't moving like tr- it was. It was moving very incrementally. It didn't feel like anybody was pushing it like like aggressively. It was just kind of gently moving around. So we asked the spirit to like point to their gravestone. Um, so it did, and we walked over there, and it had someone had put. It was a it was a veteran, and it had a flag um, in it in, in the ground, and it was there was no wind. Uh, but the flag fluttered when we walked over to it, and we freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have some weird graveyard stuff. That is creepy, though. That's funny. I was a weird kid. <laughs> you, you're still weird, Peter. The care, care is over. <laughs> Don't limit yourself to your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a different kind of weird now, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, all right. I think it is time for the final round of stories. Peter, are you ready? I am ready. This is a juicy one. This I feel like this could be a whole mystery episode in itself. Um, this, uh, this story comes from Maggie in Aurora, New York. Um, she shared a, a short story, but when I delved into it, I found there was just layer upon layer of great stories uh, about Pigman Bridge. So this is Pigman Bridge from Maggie. Um, we all know places in the towns where we grew up, dark places where we fear to tread. Strange stories swirl around these spots, stories that send chills down our spines and quicken our hearts. We are drawn to these locations as much as they might repel us. They become the setting for games of truth or dare, make-out spots for young lovers, and sometimes, when it's dark, terrifying and unexplainable events. Pigman Bridge is just such a place. In the otherwise unremarkable town of Aurora, Pigman Bridge is the nexus of a series of strange, mythical stories and actual, historical, horrific events. Maggie told us a story about a butcher who killed three local boys in one night and used the carcasses of butchered pigs to disguise the smell of their rotting bodies. On certain nights, you can see the boys walking across the bridge towards the butcher's house. Many travelers take long detours to avoid driving near the cursed bridge. Now, Maggie's story is chilling, but it's only one of dozens that relate in some way to Pigman Bridge. The bridge itself was the site of a horrific train accident that killed over 50 people. The train derailed while crossing the river, sending the two rear passenger cars crashing down into the water. Townsfolk spent weeks recovering corpses from the banks of the river. 
Pigman Bridge may have been named for William Derricks, a local man born with a facial disfigurement that made him resemble a pig. Derricks worked as a butcher before joining the traveling curiosity shows of Barnum and Ripley. Later in his life, Derricks lived in a house near the ill-fated bridge and became something of a hoarder of curiosities. He reportedly used to put the heads of pigs on pikes around his property to discourage trespassers. After his death, Derrick's house and the surrounding area became the setting for a series of strange events. Unexplained fires broke out, strange piles of debris appeared seemingly overnight, and eerie lights shone out of the surrounding woods. Curiosity seekers who visited the area reported being surrounded by flames or chased by an old black pickup truck. One man who was taking a survey door-to-door was reported missing and has never been found. There are so many stories about Pigman Bridge that they can't all possibly be true. But when you take the time and start peeling back the layers of pulp and hearsay, you're left with a local landmark that attracts darkness and tragedy to itself like a nefarious occult magnet. Nice. That story had everything. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. That's <laughs> oh. really good. I'm I'm glad uh, Maggie elaborated. I know when she posted on the Facebook, um, I immediately responded. I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. Just layers and layers. Like, it's got, like, Jersey Devil stuff. It's got, yeah. you know, haunted railroad tracks. It's got all, the, the river. There was, there was a boat that sank in the river I didn't even talk about. It's crazy. So, That's yeah, cool. lots, of, lots of good stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll have to revisit that in some form or fashion. Like in the next few months, we'll have to come back and explore that a little more. Absolutely. Maybe maybe Spring Hill Jack is involved, and we don't even know it. <laughs> yeah, the the flames I thought was the the, the surrounded by flame. That's something that comes up again and again in these people. Like they've got recorded stories of people who have you know spoken to the newspapers and the police about um, these weird encounters yeah. in that area. That's great. Well, um, I've got a nice little one here from uh, Jessica in Stanton, California. Um, This one's a really good one here. So we moved into the 200-year-old house when I was five. We lived there until I was 13 years of living there. I saw three figures. The first one was on our very first day there. I excitedly ran into my new bedroom to jump on my bed and caught myself before falling on a slender woman with very short cropped hair sleeping on my bed. She woke up as I almost smashed into her eyes wide open in sudden fear as she put her arms up to block my fall and then she disappeared. I ran out of the room afraid but didn't mention what I had seen to anyone. Fast forward four years, it's a humid, hot Sunday Tennessee morning. We didn't have air conditioning, and it was still too hot to sleep. I remember it was a Sunday because my dad was gone to his Sunday job and had taken my brother with him. My sister and mom were still asleep. I went to our living room where there was more airflow and laid on our love seat. Eyes closed, enjoying the limited breeze and silence, I suddenly felt like someone is standing over me. I open my eyes and look up to see a very pale young boy with dark circles under his eyes looking at me. He was angry. 
He looked at me with pure hate, and then he spat on me. I was sho- I was in shock and remembered feeling my forehead to feel fresh spit. Although, hey, it was hot, maybe it was sweat. He disappeared as well. I did tell my parents about this because his energy toward me was scary. A few months after the instance, the elderly woman who grew up here visited to have a last look and walk around the house that she grew up in. My parents somehow found a way to bring up the ghost story. The woman mentioned her brother was nine when he passed away in the house from pneumonia. From that moment on, he made his presence known most nights. Everyone would see him in the corner of their eyes in our hallway. He'd move little things, and I'd tell him I know it's him, and to stop, it was annoying. We learned to coexist with him, and I think he got over the anger he originally felt. He didn't scare us. But something dark did live in that house. I saw it once, and I won't sleep in a dark room alone even to this day. My sister and I shared a bedroom. It was a long rectangular room. Our twin beds were on each side. One night at bedtime, it was dark in the room, but with enough light from the moon that you can see shadows and outlines. Again, I feel like someone is standing over me, so I open my eyes and look up to what I think is the silhouette of my sister standing motionless next to my bed, with her head tilted down at me. I ask, what are you doing? No response. I again ask, irritated, what is she doing? I finally get to the point of raising my voice and yell, what are you doing? Suddenly, I hear my sister half asleep from across the long rectangular room asking me what I'm yelling about. I look back at the shadow just in time to watch it walk away. I felt a lot of negativity from that experience, and I later dreamed a few weeks before we moved out that the girl was buried, that a girl was buried under the house, and the house wanted us uh, out to protect her. Mm. We moved out because the house was sold to a rich couple who basically wanted to restore it. A few years later, my brother burned the house down. (laughs) I I drove by it. When I visited home, I didn't want to get out because I could feel they're still there and was afraid one might attach to me. I still wonder about the spirits there, though. How dark and and disturbing is the um, yeah the history of that house that oh. you know that it would compel you to do something like burn it down, you know? Right. Yeah. And, it, and it, there's a nice connection to Melissa's story there with the figures, um, and it looks like the whole family could sense the presence of that nine-year-old boy uh, who was who it's I like how he kind of turns from like creepy like scary you know movie thing to like annoying pest of a spirit like come on come on bro <laughs> chill out um, quit spitting at me uh, we have to learn to live together right right <laughs> just like a normal nine-year-old boy would be annoying you um, right <laughs> but no very interesting yeah you can only imagine what a in an old house, I mean a 200-year-old house, um, without air conditioning, uh, what kind of shenanigans could go on in a place like that? Wow. Yeah, really interesting. Do, do either of you have any, like, did you live in any old houses or have any weird weird things, things happen in your homes growing up? I lived in a very old house when I was younger. And, well, I mean, I don't know how old it really was, but the it was a... It was a cottage from a hotel that was in some way destroyed. Um, but the hotel was very old and the house, I mean, I don't know. My, my mother claims a lot of weird occurrences. I did actually, I do have a story that I cannot explain. Um, so I was, 
at one point, this is a house that um, basically I owned when I was younger because the person that lived in it died and, and like left it to me and my sister. And so we lived there for a period of time. And the, like, again, so we had lived there when I was little. We moved out with my parents as we were little kids. And then when we were older, the person that lived there died and left it to us. So my sister, it was me, my sister, and then another girl who worked with us. And we were all going to watch like scary stories, right? Or scary movies. And I think we had like, like maybe one of the screen movies or something, something not too, too scary. And we all decide that we want pizza. Well, all the pizza places that delivered were closed and there was one all night grocer that was open and that's the only place that was open. And they were like, Hey, I'm going to go get pizza. And I was like, cool, I'll just stay here and finish the movie or whatever. And you guys do that. Cause I just did not feel like going with them. Well, I heard, so I kept hearing this noise coming from the other room and there was nobody else there. I mean, it was just me. And I was like, oh, my God, is somebody trying to break in? And so I go into the room where I'm hearing the noise and there's nobody in there. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And then so I go to call my sister because this was at the time of cell phones. um, And I pick up the phone in the house and it says no line. And I'm like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Does somebody cut the line? And so... (laughs) Then I hear a sneeze from the other room, like a a legitimate sneeze, like somebody is sneezing. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? And so, you know, I I go back in the other room and the phone is off the hook. The it was like a like one of those old phones that you would have to, like, put back on the Uh hook. But we had used the phone earlier that not that phone, the um, the digital phone we had used earlier that day. So I know for a fact that it wasn't off the hook at that point and no one had really been in that room. We kind of avoided that room cause it was creepy. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I go to hang up that phone and then get the line on the other one. And I call my sister and then I heard start hearing like other noise, like banging and stuff again. And I was like, I've got to get out of this house. So I just like, stayed i sat by the mailbox in the house until my sister oh, <laughs> wow it was really creepy I, I to this day i have no idea what was going on if someone was like in the house or yeah. whatever but yeah i do have that story that's, cool. that's really cool i had a house growing up and um when we bought it uh an, we bought it from an old couple i think they i don't know if they died or if they went to like a retirement community or something but they lived there for a long time and we knew their last names. Um, and I had a room in the basement. We had like refinished part of the basement. And that was that was where I I slept because I was the most favorite child. So they made me sleep in the, ba- in the basement. Um, <laughs> and one day I was poking around and on top of um, a heating duct that was up in the ceiling, I found an old wallet and it had identification in it. Uh, and it was not the it was not the guy who lived in the house. Um, so in my mind, I concocted this thing that this guy had, um, like a secret life and a, another identity and that he, 
hid his his uh his wallet from this other identity in the basement and when he'd moved away he'd forgotten it it's probably total bs but i i like that <laughs> i like that's to think really about cool <laughs> did it have any money in it no but it, i mean <laughs> I, I wish i hung on to it because it had like you know it had his id it had like you know like membership cards and stuff uh um no money though unfortunately oh my god peter what if that was like a somebody had like murdered him or something Ooh. and that was the evidence and you just didn't hang on to it can you just you got that that my favorite murder thought going on there <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're straight to it <laughs> well i did not you Guilty. know I, I, I did not use my childhood powers of sensing spirits i never i never sensed spirits in, in the house i grew up in but uh that was that was kind of an interesting discussion yeah no, that's really cool. All right, well, I've got I've, the well, Brian, you you went last, right? Yes. Like um, you already went, right? Yep, yep, yeah. That okay, was okay. So I've yeah. got yes. This is the the end. This is <laughs> the last story. I was okay. penultimate. You are ultimate. <laughs> okay. This is from Savannah, who lives in Savannah, Georgia. So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, witchcraft and the paranormal were making a comeback. Every 12-year-old girl was raised on light as a feather, stiff as a board, and had picked out a favorite femme fatale in the 1996 cult classic, The Craft, as well as a set of three freckles that were clumsily in the shape of a triangle, which obviously signified their membership in the occult. The world was my oyster, and I had a spell for just about anything, even to increase the speed of dial-up. Hi from watching Alyssa Milano's abs for 44 minutes a week. My sister and I brought a Ouija board from Spencer's and were convinced that we too would have a book of shadows in no time. Do you promise you're not going to move it? Because if you do, then we're not really going to know if it works. I pinky swear. My tiny sister, two years my sophomore, promised. Ouija, what are our names? Slowly the pointer slid across the board to our initials like magic. What is the name of our dogs? Slowly, the pointer slid across the board to the initials of our dogs. Clearly, this board was efficient. Didn't waste time with all the extra letters and names. I was absolutely convinced, shaken to my core. I told everyone I possibly could, my friends, my mom, my dad, my teachers. I had spoken to the other side, and the other side knew that my Cocker Spaniel's name started with an L. I even went so far as to make paper Ouija boards in school and ask it questions about who liked who in the seventh grade. But what was more interesting was that I wasn't just speaking to some random ghost on the other side. No, I was speaking to a boy named Ouija, a popular name for male Plutonians. You see, Ouija <laughs> lived on the inside of Pluto and was happy to speak to some girls, some Earth girls, through a very scientific method they have in Pluto. Throughout the weeks we corresponded, my little sister and I would talk to Ouija, who was very kind and had a special ability of being able to predict what would come on Nick at night in the next half hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was, dare I say, in love with Ouija. Who wouldn't be? My little sister Becky was closer to him, though, and she discovered that she had the ability to converse with him through the sheer power of her mind. Lucky! I can remember sitting in the back seat of my mom's blue Ford tour, squinting my eyes and asking her, did I guess the right number? No, sorry, sis. We, Weege, that was his nickname, said you were close, though. 
boy, oh boy, this entire thing was exciting. Until one night, an actual spirit overpowered Weege and forced the pointer to go around and around very quickly on the board. This was the spirit's way of conveying of conveying supreme anger, Ovs. The spirit was from literal hell and was warning me that I was a bad sister who was a bully and would surely burn for eternity if I made my sister make my bed again, even though she stopped sleeping in my bed and started sleeping on the floor of my room so she wouldn't have to in the first place. Anyway, I got the message loud and clear. I was petrified and didn't sleep for weeks. Shortly thereafter, my Ouija board disappeared with the characteristic mystery as they are prone to do. And the paper ones I made at school had grown dull. Several years later, I'm in the driveway with my sister, who's now a full-on teenager, doing chores, and I stop. Hey, Beck, remember Ouija? She started to laugh so hard spit was dripping from her mouth. That was me. I was sincerely shocked. As she convulsed, I stood there motionless. (laughs) Running through my head were all the many concrete proofs of Ouija's presence. Our initials, my dog's initials, his ability to know that Bewitch was coming on. How could this be? Our connection was so real. I mean, I, I, did I really spend weeks flirting with my own little sister? (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. I love it. Let's just get it straight. I think the saddest part of the story is the fact that Pluto is not a planet anymore, right? That's really, well, I think it's a planet now again. I, th- I think the is saddest it? part of the story yeah. is that that Luigi that Luigi is is on Pluto, waiting to hear back from his friends from Savannah. <laughs> uh, it's like, what happened? Why'd you guys? <laughs> we were great pen pals. That's really good. What a great way to end it on. <laughs> that, was, that was perfect. Nice job. Yeah, that's great. Did, did, did yeah. you guys ever see the Ouija movie? Was that ever good? A couple years ago, do you remember this? No. Did you know about it? No, I didn't. They don't make movies like they used to, like in the no, movies. No, it's. Oh, I, I'm sure it's terrible. It's 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 a horror film. It's called Ouija, and it's a horror film, and or it's it claims to be one. Uh, but I'm just curious if anyone had seen that because I I literally have no interaction with Ouija boards. It's it's really interesting. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I think that does about does it, right? I just want to thank everyone again who submitted stories and yeah who just took that time to like think about their past, even if it was a bit traumatic um, and just send us that stuff. So I really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. This was really cool. I, I like seeing this and like Peter bringing up the connecting the themes between everything. And it's going to be really interesting to see uh, maybe, maybe in the future we can help some kid do his dis- dissertation on the themes uh, <laughs> from local <laughs> myths and personal <laughs> myths. <laughs> Who knows? Um college can go anywhere you want it to um well uh thanks to everyone who who did bring in the stories for us and thanks cammy and peter for coming here and read them aloud this was a nice little doozy of an episode i think uh everyone will enjoy it i i just to get the housekeeping out the way too that we are still doing remote remote recording um due to the global pandemic um we're gonna probably be still doing that for a little while as we try and get everything figured out but uh if you like the podcast please let us know we, we appreciate any reviews and subscriptions and things like that we're on multiple services you can also get to our facebook group remember it's mystery with an ie we also have a reddit now not a subreddit but a reddit account under mystery probably we'll make a sub at some point um but uh yeah i think that about does it if anyone has anything else to add 
Well, no? just if you were listening today and, and listening triggered um, some memories of some stories from the town you grew up in, uh, reach out to us on, on our Facebook page and we will try to include your story in a future episode. Please. Yeah, that would be great. Awesome. Well, uh, Cami Peter, thanks. Everyone, thank you. And we will see you all next time. Oh. Peace.